You are listening to the Your Shining Self podcast for women who need messages of hope, love, and transformation. And now, your host, Tish. Hey there, listeners. Today, I am so excited to have Jennifer Burke with me. Jennifer, before we hop into our conversation, will you take just a couple minutes to introduce yourself to our listeners? Tell us a little about who you are and what makes you tick. Awesome. Thank you so much, Tisha. I'm so excited to be here with you. And so a couple of things that make me make me tick. I'm a, I'm a fellow solopreneur. I am a marketing geek and I've learned to embrace that. And I said to you at one point that I feel like my, my path is a bit like the dotted line cartoons um, from the old family circus cartoons. And, you know, a little bit of here, a little bit of over there, go over the bush. And I'm learning to embrace that whole wild journey because I have a background both as a marketing executive. At one point in time, I worked in New York on products and brands that you would know and that you've seen in stores and used. But twist, turn, I also have a degree in credential as a librarian. <laughs> and I've turned all of that to being now a marketing teacher and a marketing coach. Um, and I wear three hats doing that. I have a nonprofit that I started. I work in marketing with other nonprofits and libraries. And at Mighty Marketing Mojo, I work on helping my fellow solopreneurs to get unstuck. Um, because I get really sad when marketing tech or marketing gets them stuck and they don't share their message the way that I, I really know that they need to do that. Um, so that's a little bit about me and the short version of the dotted line path that my, my life and my career have taken, you know, over the last 20 some odd years. Thank you, Jennifer. And I'm giggling over here as you're talking about the dotted line because I'm like, oh, I think we can all relate to that dotted line. And, and I absolutely. And I think that's one of the best things maybe about both the internet, about the changes in the way we all do business and life in the last 20 something years, we can all embrace those dotted lines for ourselves that Things don't look like maybe our parents or our grandparents where they did one thing and they did it until they retired and they died. That's not life anymore. We get yes. to hop. We get to jump. You're working from your home on one coast. I'm working from my office at home on another coast. And that's cool. And that's possible in ways that wouldn't have been, you know, even 15 years ago. Yes. Um, so I'm totally going to out myself here, but <laughs> I have known Jennifer for, oh my gosh, I don't even want to try to remember when I first met you in the online world. But, um, I remember like when I found out that, you know, librarian, I was like, oh Lord, librarians are so boring. <laughs> And it's not true. Like you are the least boring person I know. Not to mention, you guys, Jennifer is just this. She is, I don't even know what was that old thing in the library. Oh God, I'm so dating myself. I, I am not the card catalog, no, yes. but <laughs> oh my God, see, you knew exactly what I was thinking. When I could imagine I, you, I was imagining you running your fingers through the cards. <laughs> Oh, that's so awesome. But like kidding aside, you are just a wealth of knowledge and information. Like if I need to know how to research something, find something, like it just blows me away that I can post in our fa our private, you know, coaching Facebook group 
and you just are boom, 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 here, here, here. And I'm like, holy Toledo. She is like the Google, you guys. There is, it's funny, some of my pals that are, that are information professionals, we do walk around with t-shirts that say the original search engine. Um, That's so funny. I love The other that. thing we talk, you know, you talk about each other, like, do you have the Google foo? I got good Google foo, kind of like Kung Fu. <laughs> I love that. Okay, but so all this kidding aside, what I really want to dive into today, Jennifer, is, and first, I'm so thankful that you are willing to be open and come on the air with me and share your story about this. So, um, like I said, I've known Jennifer for, oh gosh, a long time. I just recently was able to finally meet her in person, which was a ton of fun, but one of the things that I never knew about you was how you had a brain tumor that caused your facial, oh Lord, here comes this word. Paralysis? Yes, thank you. I'm so embarrassed that I can't say that. Um, But I never knew like like what happened that caused that. So I selfishly am excited to talk to you today just because I'm so interested in hearing this story. So will you tell my listeners a little bit about that? And then we're going to jump into how you have like moved past, I guess, letting that stop you from being on stage speaking and being on video. Um, So yeah, let's just jump into that, Jennifer. Absolutely. Thanks, Tisha. And it's interesting. And I got to listen to some of your other awesome guests on the Shining Self podcast and while I'd love to say that I turned around and said, yes, I had this horrible thing happen and now I've created a foundation and we work on research for it. No, it was too rare. (laughs) And it's not the type of thing one could even prevent. Um, I like to tell the story and joke that if your doctor ever looks at you or sticks anything in parts of your body and goes, oh, that's not a good sign. Um, you know, and they also tell you don't, you know, catastrophize things. Don't think about the worst case scenario. The worst case scenario never actually comes true. Well, you know, some people have this worst case scenario in their head. They're like, oh my God, I have a headache that won't stop. Oh my God, what if the headache's a brain tumor? But what if the headache truly was? Right. I had a horrible headache and I'd had a horrible earache. And I'm at the doctor for a normal checkup. And I'm like, okay, look, I've had this headache and I've had this earache that just won't go away. And it's toward the end of the visit. She's like, okay, let me take a look. And then she says, oh. I'm like, what? What do you mean? Oh. Wow. And yeah. And she's like, well, there's something wrong inside your ear. She's like, I think you should go see an ENT. It's probably like a a cyst or or something. You know, you just need some eardrops. And the good news was that we actually had a family friend who was an ENT. I'm like, okay, great. I'll get an appointment. I go see him. I go see Jeff. Jeff looks at my head. Jeff goes, oh. I'm like, damn it, stop doing that, people. What do you mean, oh? It, because there was literally a protrusion that was visible, to doctors at least. Oh, my gosh. And I, and I joke in my best Bugs Bunny voice, it took a wrong turn to Albuquerque. That, and we didn't know what this was. And he gave me drops, and it didn't go away. But there was something going wrong in my head. And finally, I had to go through an MRI. And I will tell you right now, Tish, that I hate MRIs. This only made things worse. It only ratcheted up my anxiety. And then they're still not sure. They're like, well, 
that's weird. We've never seen anything quite like that. But, but we're pretty sure there's a tumor in your head. I'm like, are you kidding me? And it started a search that lasted most of the, the next year trying to figure out what exactly was it in my head. Um, can I stop you really quick? Just because yeah. I'm being nosy here. How old were you? You don't have to give an age, but were you younger? Was this recently? So this was right before I turned 30. Oh, wow. Okay. Thank you. So it was a little, it was a little while ago. And, and it's interesting that you mentioned this because I don't talk about it a whole lot, but this year was like the 15th anniversary, <laughs> which I hadn't thought about. <laughs> until I found some, some medical bills that related to the time when I had it treated. Um, so yeah, I'm young and we're young and you think you're invincible and mm -hmm. you know, you think, okay, so fine, you get a sprain or you get a cold or a respiratory infection or something like that. And then somebody looks in your side, your head and goes, Oh, and I was lucky in a lot of ways. I was lucky that I live um, in a major city. I live outside Philadelphia and we have hospitals everywhere. Um, so we kind of hospital shopped and we were trying to find an answer. And the reason it was difficult was because it didn't, it was so rare that doctors had a hard time figuring out what it was and they, they kept thinking it was something else. Um, like that had to have been scary for you knowing that here is something going on with my body, but doctors are not figuring out what exactly is going on with my body. Exactly. I have, we have another friend who's a, who's in the medical field and, and, and who's had her own medical issues. And we joke that especially in medicine, doctors are trained to look for the most common answers mm -hmm. to problems and the joke goes that, you know, if you hear a lot of hoofbeats and you hear the clomping of hoofbeats, you assume it's horses. But every now and then, it's a zebra. And what we found out later is I'm an effing zebra. That hey, nothing wrong with that. Zebras are cool. I'm embracing my zebra. I would prefer to be a unicorn, but I'm going to embrace the zebra. And... The other funny thing is it actually ties back into becoming a, a library professional. I had just started my graduate program. And so I was just learning all of my magic searching skills. So I practiced on myself. And I started using all these new resources that I had access to. And I started searching the medical literature. Because if my doctors didn't know, maybe I could figure out what was wrong with me. Well, I mean, that almost seems not to make light of the situation because obviously it's, you know, something serious, but it almost seems so fitting that at that time is when you were going through that because here you now have all these resources and things that you can do to start searching for yourself. So I like that at that time is when you were going through that so that you could start, you know, advocating for yourself. Absolutely. And it, it, and that was where I guess I started learning that what they thought I might have was so, you know, so much of a zebra, you know, like I'm a purple striped zebra, you know, Tish, we're talking about, so it's a, it was a facial nerve neuroma. There are maybe have only been a hundred, a couple hundred cases of this. Wow. Period. Like the literature talking about 
how to treat this was based in, you know, Australia. There just weren't other cases like me. And, you know, I'd even shied away back then, and I, I still sometimes shy away from saying, you know, the word brain tumor because I've lost friends and family to like the really serious kinds of, of brain tumors. And Philadelphia is where Alex's lemonade stand came from. And you talk about kids with pediatric brain. I'm like, no, 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 no. I, I didn't, I didn't have that. I'm like, it wasn't that serious. And then somebody's like, dude, you had a tumor inside your head from the nerves where the brain stem comes out. It's, it's a fucking pretty brain. serious. It's a brain tumor, you know? Yeah. The, the other good part of, of the fact that, A, you know, I, I had great insurance and I had access to healthcare, and we could search for doctors was that once we think we narrowed it down and that it wasn't the slightly more common auditory, but it was a facial nerve neuroma, was that in almost all cases, those types of tumors are benign. Mm-hmm. But the best way to describe this is imagine you're looking at, you know, the cord for cable that you plug into the TV. And if you were to open it up, it's like a bunch of colors. It's red and yellow and green and blue. And my tumor had basically wrapped itself around all of those red, yellow, green, blue wires inside and around the nerves in my head. And so poking at it, or if they'd sliced it and done surgery, it would have caused even more damage. And... That was, I think, the the scariest thought was when everybody kept telling me, we're going to have to cut your head open and we're going to have to do, you know, take off a bit of your skull. And I'm like, I'm really not liking the way this sounds. And that everybody, had, all the doctors had said that it was going to be guaranteed facial paralysis and that that facial paralysis was going to be total and it could last for, for several years and even if they put the nerves back together, eh, not so sure that everything was going to go back exactly the way it's supposed to. You just, you don't know. Wow. And so, and yeah, like you said, it was, it was, a, there was a lot of anxiety. So take me back to that time, you know, when all this is going on and the doctors are, you know, you're hearing all this and you're hearing about the, the facial paralysis. What, like, what is that making you feel like on the inside? I mean, aside from being scared that all this is going on, you know, as a young woman hearing that, you know, there's going to be something wrong with your face, like what emotions was that evoking within you? Oh boy, Tish, it was, you know, (laughs) it it evoked anxiety. It, it, you know, it, it caused or exacerbated lifelong um, depression. The and it's interesting that you also bring up, you know, when I kept hearing about the diagnosis. So the interesting thing that as this all went on, because the tumor took a wrong turn through my ear, that's how we knew things were getting really serious. Mm-hmm. We went from the moment of diagnosis and the first doctor saying, It's okay, these things grow slow, we'll just wait. And that made me I mean, I'm listening to the doctors. That's what doctors say. This is the doctor at the University of Pennsylvania. They're experts. So I'm like, okay. But then I'm listening to my own body and going, something's still not right. Mm -hmm. And from the initial diagnosis in like April, 
Tish, I had lost most of my hearing by August. Wow. In the left side. And we're like, something's really not right. And and that's when we got really serious about looking at other doctors because something had obviously was accelerating and this this whole watchful waiting thing wasn't wasn't working. All the same time, I'm still in school and I'm training to be a librarian. And the, one of the other panics that I'd had, and they're talking about paralysis and I'm losing my hearing, I, was I don't know that I'm going to be able to do this job, this new career that I'm training for. Because I was scared I would have to be out in front of the public. I'd be mm-hmm. having to listen to questions. I'd be helping people. I'd be teaching. And now I had the extra layer of panic of going, I can't hear them. I don't know if I'll ever be able to hear them. What am I going to look like? Am I going to scare people? I, that was actually a thought that went through my head at that point. Is like, am I going to wind up scaring people? Am I going to have to take a job in the back end of a library because... I can't be in front of people anymore. Oh, that breaks my heart. Oh my gosh. And I was worried. Yeah. I was worried about what other people's reactions to me would be probably because I had a long lifetime of worrying too damn much about what other people thought of me mm-hmm. when they weren't thinking about, about me at all. Wow. I like just listening to you share all this. It's just like, like when I spoke with Candace Davis um, a couple of weeks ago, you know, another case of I've known Candace for a really long time. And as she's sharing with me about her anxiety and depression, I'm like, gosh, you know, I didn't know that she dealt with any of this. And, you know, I've known you forever and have never heard this story. So as I'm listening to it for the first time, I'm like, I have goosebumps over here and I'm like getting all emotional because you're my friend. Like, oh my gosh. <laughs> Um, so, so as you're going through all this, take me to the point when you notice that something is now wrong with your face. Like how soon did that come about after like the diagnosis and everything? It's a great question, Tish, because the interesting thing is that reading through the literature, now that I'd had excellent search skills and I'd found the only two or three articles about this and talking to the doctors, in almost every other instance, the only time they realized what kind of brain tumor this was, was when the facial paralysis had set in. Wow. So in one regard, I was lucky. Because the tumor took a wrong turn, and we could quite literally poke it and see it through my ear, they found it in time, the doctors thought, to maybe spare me the complete worst case scenario. And the other was that in continuing to, to look for medical help, I finally found a set of doctors at a different hospital in Philadelphia after we talked to folks around the country and I'd visited Baltimore and I'd visited New York. There was a set of doctors at Jefferson and their advanced neuroscience center. And he said, you know what? I think we can do this without surgery. I think we can use radiation We're using it for other similar types of tumors, similar types of brain tumors and intracranial tumors. You know, basically experimental treatment. Would you be willing to let us zap your head? Oh my gosh. (laughs) And when he said they thought they could spare me the guaranteed paralysis, because at this point the paralysis hadn't set in. Mm -hmm. I had lost my hearing. I twitched, (laughs) but 
I still had hope at that point that we were avoiding the paralysis. And I'm like, yeah, nuke my head. And all of this had happened within about 15 months of the original diagnosis. And I spent eight weeks driving myself to Philadelphia to be, for lack of a better term, nuked or zapped every day. Um, and how and long did you have to go through that? It was, I believe, 40 treatments. So it was five days a week. It was eight weeks. Wow. They can do this stuff a lot easier now. <laughs> but this was, this was 15 years ago. And um, I prefer not to think, of, you know, the, the irony. Yes, I drove myself down there every day. That may have been a little overly heroic, I think, later on. Yeah, uh, I, you think? <laughs> as I think about it, it didn't hurt. Um, <clears throat> it, it Actually, it wasn't until, I can tell you almost exactly, it was near Halloween, possibly on Halloween. Mm -hmm. The treatments had been over for about six weeks. But I had had massive swelling. And I had been on significant high doses of steroids, in fact, high doses of steroids that completely wrecked my body. I gained 50 pounds in four weeks. Um, I, you know, I was never a completely pelt, you know, a svelte and petite person. Um, and I've never been able to lose all of that. But it was like Halloween night. I'm in class. I've gone back to class. I only took one semester off, uh, another overly heroic move. And I'm in the middle of a group exercise and I can't say certain words. All of a sudden, I can't say the word Philadelphia. I can't say the word peanut butter. Believe it or not, peanut butter was part of what we were talking about. I went to get a Coke during the break, and the Coke ran down my face. I'm oh, like, my gosh. I'm like, oh, a bunch of swear words. I'm like, this, this is wrong. This is wrong. And there was no, I don't even know if there were any mirrors in the bathroom in, the, uh, in my grad school. And I got home and I looked at my husband and go, what's just happened? And the answer was that the, the pressure in my head after the radiation had pressed up against the nerve, kind of like, you know, I don't even know how to just, it got squished. And then when it got squished, the nerve caused, it caused damage and the paralysis came. And the only good news I found out later on was, well, I guess it wasn't as bad as it would have been if they cut my head open. Jeez. But the left side of my face was was paralyzed. I can't um, even imagine, you know, being, especially just as young women. I mean, I know for me personally, I was so concerned about what I looked like, what other people thought of me, you know, oh, yeah. when I was younger compared to now. Like, I just can't even... I can't fathom like going through all that. I just can't even, I can't even begin to wrap my brain around everything that had to have been going on in your head. And, you know, you had touched a little bit on anxiety and depression. Um, did you, did you go into any sort of depression after this happens and you know, oh, now yeah. you're having problems with your face and. Oh, oh yeah. And, yeah. um, I did not have I did not have a therapist at that point in time. Mm -hmm. I was not under treatment, you know, even though I had 
fought those things for a lifetime. I had not yet received an official diagnosis. Um, and, you know, there are some things I don't remember from that time period, Tish, but I'm pretty sure I remember that I did not go get help in that regard the way I should have. It was easy for me to have reached out and to have gotten a new doctor. You know, I've, I had no problem searching for the third, you know, three, four, five times to find a neurologist who would treat me, but I did not reach out and find a therapist. So how did you, how did you deal with like the depression? And I know for me personally, when I was going through, you know, some of my darker depressive days, whatever you want to call it, you know, I had a lot of suicidal thoughts. Did you, did you have any of those types of thoughts and did you have a support system around you aside from, you know, like a professional person that you were talking to about like the feelings that you were having? Were you sharing with your husband what was going on? It's a good question. Um, yes, I shared with him, you know, he's been my biggest rock and support. Um, we'd been, <laughs> I'm trying to think how long have we been married at that point? The answer was already <laughs> a while, <laughs> quite a while. Um, and I had some other, you know, support locally. I can say, honestly, I wish I'd had more support. Mm -hmm. Um, I had support from family in terms of dealing with the paralysis, dealing with the tumor, but not dealing with the depression and the anxiety. I don't remember having suicidal thoughts at that point in time. I can't mm -hmm. say that, you know, I won't say that I never had them, but the irony was that not then. I also never went through a, like, why me phase because the question that popped up to more in my head was, well, why not? It was a genetically weird roll of the dice. It could have happened to anybody. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think later, much later, I realized maybe, you know, it was good that it happened to me because, again, I was, I was blessed and fortunate enough that we had – this is the kind of thing that could have bankrupted somebody. Uh, right. You know, Tisha, the, the medical care was so expensive. It, if we hadn't been covered – we would have been bankrupted. And the irony is that even though I was treated 15 years ago and nothing's wrong since I'm completely that part of me that doesn't exist. I don't still have tumor related issues. That's amazing. But in the, but in the eyes of the healthcare system, I have a pre-existing condition Yep. because I was once treated that way. And because I once had my brain zapped, I'm considered a high risk and would be uninsurable if it hadn't been for changes in our healthcare system. And if anything, that made me the poster child for walking around and talking to people about why we needed coverage for pre-existing conditions. Cause I'm like, look, I went from being healthy and 29 to I've got a tumor in my head, you know, within what 24 hours, you know, one day I'm fine. The next day you get a tumor in your head. You don't know. And to have thought that somebody else could have gone through that and to not be able to have the kind of care that I got, the fact that we could try something experimentally and that as bad as the paralysis was initially after the radiation, the good news was that, you know, by a few years later, 
it was mostly unnoticeable except to me. Mm-hmm. And, and that's kind of where I think you pick up on part of the story, you know, and the lingering anxiety that I had over this. Okay, so now let's forward to, so now you are, you're speaking on stages, like big stages, you're doing Facebook Lives. So if we have somebody that's listening today, and they're afraid of, you know, putting themselves on video, because I don't know, for whatever reason, what, like, how did you, and I don't know that we ever really get over our shit, we just kind (laughs) of learn to deal with it. Um, Like, what, how did you come to the point where you're like, okay, I have this going on, um, but I'm still standing on a stage, damn it. I'm still getting on video because I have a message to share and I have a, you know, a purpose. How did you come to that point where you're just like, you know, basically like Nike says, just do it. it. I wish I had this story. Like, I'm like, yeah, I just got this really ballsy move. And I'm like, I'm just going to go out there. I'm like, are you kidding? I was, I tish, I wouldn't let anybody take my picture for about two and a half years because I was, I was so convinced that between the steroids and, you know, what my face looked like from them and the paralysis, and I was always convinced that it looked worse than it probably actually was. Because what I saw in the mirror, even 15 years later, I think I was seeing me at my worst. And the irony was that it, <laughs> I had gone back to school for a second time, and I had to present I had to present my research. There was no, there was no ifs or ands or buts. That was just something that was required as part of what I was doing in my career. Mm-hmm. It's like, here's your slides. Get up there and talk. I'm like, there were just no other options. I'm like, OMG. And I think it helped that the first time I did it, it was small, and there's 15 people in the room. And then I'd present again in front of my my fellow student, I, you know, and, and my fellow potential professors. And nobody said anything. And I'm like, all right, I think I look awful. I think the words don't come out right. But nobody made fun of me. So, okay, we'll keep talking. And it helped that this was before social media. It helped that this was before everybody was selfieing everything and before a lot of live video. So part of it was getting to practice in person with people who are like, cool, you had a message, you had something to share, even if my message was about whatever the hell my research was. And then I I think it was later, um, it was after I was starting to go out and and start my own business that I realized I had to talk to more people. Mm -hmm. And I had to talk about myself and I had to talk about my business. And so I did, and I'm okay one-on-one. I also tapped into, honestly, it had helped that I had been public, even though I was an introvert, I had been public speaking since I was literally in the first grade. Wow. I did, I did plays, you know, I, I did plays and performances. Um, not only did I letter in sports in high school, I lettered in theater. I was a massive geek. And so I'd, I'd play a role and I'd turn back to the times when I was acting and I'm like, all right, I'm on stage. I've been on stage before. We're going to play the role of the confident person here. We're going to play the role of the person who doesn't have a speech impediment and a hearing issue and a half-paralyzed face. And I felt like I was getting away with it for a while because I didn't have to worry about video at first. I'm doing it live in persons and groups. And I'm like, okay, pulled one over. I'm getting away with it. All right, we'll keep going. And then 
I think it was, you know, when after I started my business and I got involved with, with some other volunteers and realized that public speaking was going to have to be one of the ways that I, that I marketed myself. And it was one of the ways that I needed to get in front of my target audiences, especially for my first initial business. And I'm like, I'm going to have to step around my shit, as you just said. I may not be able to put it in my back pocket, but I'm going to have to temporarily get past my shit because I am apparently somewhat of an expert on on talking about this topic, you know, that I was talking about. And the rooms were getting bigger and bigger. And nobody laughed. And they thanked me for what I talked about. And I realized, okay, maybe it's okay. Maybe, 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 maybe some groups are more generous than others, but um, it's okay. So I'll take a deep breath and I'll keep doing it. I love, like how you said, you know, I'll just keep doing it. And what I wanted to say was, you know, like how you said that, you know, nobody was laughing at you or making fun of you. It's because like when I talk to you or see you on video or when I saw you in person, like I don't see that. I see my friend that I'm having fun laughing with, chatting with, who just has all this knowledge and stuff to share. So I think you're right when you say, you know, it was more noticeable to you than it is to other people. Yeah. I, and it's interesting that you allude to that. So the, the time we've, 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 cause we've known each other online and we've seen each other on video and we've chatted live, but to see each other in, in person at an event we were at in October and I stood up and, and I said that this was something that had still scared me, that it had held me back and it was so fascinating that everybody in that room, everybody who came up and spoke to me afterwards said, we never noticed. Yes. We didn't, we didn't see it. And I'm like, how did you not see it? You know, I'm like, it's so obvious if I laugh on photo or if I laugh on video, I'm like, it's so noticeable. But because they were so in tune with either what I was sharing or they liked me or I'm funny and I am very self-deprecating, they didn't notice. And, and that was a revelation in the fact that it took me 15 years to realize that, you know, this is my shit and I can get past it because nobody sees the shit. <laughs> that, well, was, that was a revelation. To, yeah, exactly. It boils down to we're our own worst critic. We always see oh, the God, worst yes. in ourselves that others tend to, you know, not see because it's not there to them. It's there to us. Yes. Absolutely. A thousand percent. Yes. Yes. This has been such a great conversation. I have so enjoyed having you on the show and listening to your story. Before we close, um, will you give our listeners a way that if they want to connect with you, how can they find you online? Absolutely. Thanks, Tish. And I I really appreciate you having me talk about this and part of this is part of the healing journey because I don't talk about it a lot, but to say that, you know, we can all get past our own shit and in these ways. Um, so my solopreneur buddies, and if you're a solopreneur out there listening and you want to talk about marketing and, and getting past your marketing shit, you can find me at mightymarketingmojo.com and I am Mighty Marketing Mojo on Facebook. Um, and we'll leave it at that because my uh, my other, my nonprofit clients know how to find me separately too. <laughs> 
And I will make sure that I put that link in the show notes. So if anybody wants to just click through to find you, they can do that. And again, Jennifer, I just want to thank you so much. This has just been a great conversation today. And I appreciate you so much for taking the time out of your day. Thank you listeners for tuning in and joining us. I appreciate you too. That's a wrap for today's episode of the Your Shining Self podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, leave a comment, and share with others that need a message of hope, love, and transformation.